So relationships are an interesting thing, right? I mean, relationships seem to be pretty easy to obtain, but man, is it work to maintain a lot of relationships. Anybody find that? Here's what we conclude here at the cross. Relationships are messy. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been in the faith, you're just now starting to flirt with the church and the things of God. Relationships are messy. Uh, marriage can be messy. And, and here's what we know. We know that relationships in the church get messy. Family relations get messy. Close friendships get messy. We, we, we deal with it all the time. Here's something, here's something kind of interesting, though, as you look at it. Reality is every person sitting in this room and every person I know at times can get an attitude. You go, not Barb. Yeah, Barb. <laughs> Even the godliest people, Mama Kay, can get an attitude. But here's what I've, here's what I've come to realize. I know we all can get an attitude, but some people keep a bad attitude. <laughs> I mean, you ever been around people and you go, man, they're just stinking thinking that just has absolutely corrupted their mind. Here's something interesting. Let me transition. Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Now, Philippians is this incredible letter that Paul writes from a damp dungeon in Rome in a jail cell, and he writes like this perspective piece encouraging people over in Philippi that God's good and stay with it. So, so he lays it out in chapter one as we have it, and he goes, man, I'm confident of this very thing, that this God who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to perfect it and complete it, keep pressing in God's good. Then he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, man, here's what I've come to realize. Even in this damp dungeon of Rome, man, in this rat-infested sewage jail cell, I want you to know that my circumstances are going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. Hey, it's okay being here. Then he says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God's good. And then he goes on to say in chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard other people as more important than yourself. Consider Jesus. And he lays out what we've got in Philippians 2 as the great kenosis passage. And he's just pumping up the brethren, right? It's so good. Hey, we're to shine like stars in the heaven. God's, God's up to something good. Then we read Philippians 3, and he kind of lays out his biographical sketch, and he talks about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and a Pharisee and circumcised the eighth day, and he goes, all of that stuff that I could count as credit, I counted as rubbish in view of knowing Christ. And then he goes on to say that I might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to the likeness of his death. That's all that matters. And then he kind of finishes up by saying, we're citizens of heaven, man. God's up to something good. Now, he transitions into chapter 4. And if you miss these first three verses and jog past them, you're going to miss a lot. But in 4.4, he goes, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. God is good. He's near. Then he says, be anxious for nothing and in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God's good. 
whatever is pure and right and holy and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, let your mind think about these things. God's good. And then he says, man, I've learned to be content no matter where I'm at because Jesus is with me. And then we get a couple of those kind of cool verses that you see people sign autographs with. I can do all things through Christ and my God will supply all my need. I mean, all this good stuff, right? And right here in the intro of chapter four, it's like he pauses and says, oh, 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 hold on. God's up to something good in the church. The Holy Spirit's moving. I mean, God is really awakening souls. Then he says this, brothers and sisters, man, I long to see you. I love you so much. He's away from them. He's in jail. He's writing this perspective letter to this church that he's crazy about that God used him to find. Listen to what he says. Stay true to the Lord. And then he stops and he says, tell you odious and tell Suntich. Tell these two sisters to get along with each other. Tell them to deal with their disagreements. They have been good and used by God to share the good news. Their names are written in the book of life. Buried in Philippians, Paul stops and says, there's some relational discourse going on and tell them to clean up their junk. Which to me means this. Again, in the church house and in the White House and in the outhouse and in your house, the possibility of relationships falling apart is going to happen. What is he saying? Tell them to get their stuff cleaned up. Her name, Euodius, means fragrant. It's like her name literally means fragrance. And in Suntich, her name means happy. So you've got two women who have created a faction within the church that is creating disunity. And he goes, tell her she's starting to smell bad. And her junk stinks and she needs to clean it up. And tell Happy she's turned sad and she's got some issues. Anybody's world ever looked this way? You ever see people starting arguments and starting fights and all of a sudden gathering people to take their sides? That's what he's talking about. So we're going to move into dealing today with some of these high-maintenance, toxic relationships. Here's one of the things I wrote down. Healthy relationships. They involve mutual care, they involve love, they involve compassion, they involve a genuine interest in the welfare and growth of the other person. A healthy relationship is a place where you feel safe, where you feel secure, you can be yourself. The fear of rejection and the fear of being put to shame and knocked down is not there, but a toxic relationship And it's easy for people to become toxic. And it's easy to start to spread this junk onto other people. Toxic relationships are characterized by self-centeredness, self-exaltation, dominance, control. And when you're hanging in toxic relationships, you risk being healthy yourself. Get a witness? 
And, and, and it's hard to stay in that toxic stuff. So Les Parrott wrote this book years ago. Les and his wife, Leslie, are Christian counselors, and, and, and they speak all over the nation. And I, I, I just love a lot of how Les kind of communicates truth. But listen to what he did. He wrote this book on high-maintenance relationships and high-maintenance personalities. And he talked about a variety of personalities, and I want to hit four. I want to hit the critic, the steamroller, the controller, and the gossiper. But tell me if you know anybody like this, or tell me if when you look in the mirror, you see somebody like this. The, the critic, they're known to complain and give unwanted advice. Yeah, yeah you, you got anybody in your family tree that way? I mean, here they are. They find fault with almost everything. They're bossy, judgmental. They're power hungry. I mean, they're critics. They're arrogant, and they're exhausting to be around. I mean, if it's sunny, they find something wrong with the day, right? I mean, all of a sudden you sit down to eat and the food is never just right for the critic. They, they can come into a situation and assume the position of expert. They parade their knowledge around like they have arrived. Their tassel is turned. They've graduated. Man, they're the best on the planet. Critics. Critics will put you down. They will lecture you. They will... They, they will undermine you in front of friends when you're not around they love to slander they love to play the the topper story we call it when you share something they've always got a story a little better to top yours the critic they make you question your sanity at times when you're around them but they're bossy they're judgmental they're arrogant and they're they're just hungry man to be to be the man and then you've got the steamroller. Check this person out. Steamrollers are totally insensitive to other people. Now, when steamrollers want your opinion, they'll give it to you. That's what we know about steamrollers. If you do not embrace their opinion, watch out because it's their way or the highway. They've already decided how life should run, and they're going to let you know what you need to do. Here's what I know. Steamrollers are very condescending. They're always right. They avoid taking responsibility by shifting it on other people. They, they, they've got a PhD in what I call being straw men creators. You can have an issue going on, but instead of dealing with the issue, they will create and deflect to a straw man because they, they don't want to deal with their stuff. They're steamrollers. They come in and they're like, you feel like a student being scolded by your teacher when you leave them. Anybody, yeah, you got anybody like that? You, you walk away and you just feel fatigued and you feel exhausted. You get around a steamroller and when you leave, man, I'm telling you right now, you want to take a nap. I, I, there are certain personalities that will come up and start to talk to me and I'm like, oh my God. Uncle, I'm like wanting to call 911. I need relief. And, and you know when you go home, it's like, man, I, I got to lay down. Why? Because I ran into a steamroller. Or what was the old song, Nick, Nick uh, Sledgehammer? Yeah, we need to do a little Peter Gabriel in here next week and talk about Sledgehammer. But here's what I know about steamrollers. They're manipulators. They get you to do things you don't want to do and make you feel guilty if you don't do them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They're narcissistic. They've got an extreme sense of self-importance, and they think the world revolves around them. 
We, Steve, one of my elders here, he, he knows the story. But about six months into being here, I was talking about relationships one Sunday, and I was breaking down a few of these kind of personalities. Well, this one lady that was attending the church at the time, she got mad because here was her conclusion. I know what Tim did. He did that sermon just to get at me. I know that he preached that sermon just at me today. Which meant she was very narcissistic to think that everything in the world revolved around her. I didn't like her that much. She wasn't on my screensaver, and I didn't look at that photo and write down how I could passively, aggressively attack her in front of 350 people. You ever met people like that? You can make a general statement, they personalize it, then they come to you going, I can't believe you, you said that about me. And thus, we haven't seen her since, Mike. I'm like, I wasn't mad at you. I mean, if the shoe fits, they told me to. You ever read the scripture on there's certain pieces you get to and the Holy Spirit just says, this belongs to you? We were talking the other day, my buddy Spencer, we were talking the other day, and it's so funny because it's easy to sit and listen to a message and be right there listening to it, and your first thought be, man, I wish old Bob was here today, or I wish I could have gotten Beverly here today. She needed to hear that. Who are we kidding? We sit and listen to messages and read the scripture at times, and we won't even own what belongs to us, and we're wanting to tell other people. Man, you ought to have heard that, brother. I'm going to send you that podcast. <laughs> I mean, what was the old song in the 70s, man? I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. Thanks for breaking out your badge again today. Then you've got the control freak. So you're going to encounter people that are critics, steamrollers, but the control freak, they're unable to let things go and just let things be. Control freaks, listen to me. Injure most relationships. Control freaks have little respect for the privacy of other people. They snoop around like Snoop Dogg where they're not invited trying to find what the latest scoop is so that they can broadcast it to their world. We all have family members like this. I have a family member that one family member regarded them as the roving reporter. That's what they said about him one time. Oh, the roving reporter, baby. You know what that meant? Don't tell them anything that you don't want everybody to know. But it's a form of control. They will leverage it. They're so critical when they're not in full control. Control freaks are blamers and drainers. You know what I've come to realize about a lot of controllers? The blame piece, they love to hear their own voice. You know anybody like that? They start talking and they ain't said anything. But they've been talking for 20 minutes, but they didn't say anything. I'm like, why did they talk that long? Because they love hearing their own voice. Are you nuts? Oh, man, we're going to get to it here in a second. Then, then they're drainers. The conversation always revolves around them. They take the joy out of everything, and when you walk away, you're going, man, that is a very cancerous personality I just encountered there. Then you've got the gossip. If they talk about you, guess what? 
If they talk about your friends, they're going to talk about you. And if they talk about you, they're going to talk about anybody else. Gossips, they, they don't care who gets hurt. They don't care who gets damaged. They don't care about the collateral damage they create. Again, they're part of this kind of controlling and steamrolling kind of flavor. It's almost like they get energized from their stories they tell. You're not going to believe what happened to so-and-so. I ain't prayed for them. Hadn't reached out to try to help them, but they're going to let everybody know how jacked up so-and-so is. Does that happen in the church? Does it happen in families? Here's a premise statement. It's in your bulletin. I want you to get it. Premise statement. Whether you're dealing with a family member, whether you're dealing with church folk, whether you're dealing with a close friendship that's kind of gone sideways, and believe me, relationships go sideways, here's a premise statement. I want you to get it. The church is not a place... For perfect people. The church is a sanctuary for the sick. Charles Morrison said it this way. The Christian church is the only society in the world that membership is based upon the single qualification that the candidate shall be unworthy for membership. I'm reading that going, that is right on. All right, so why are we sitting here today? People will say, well, I don't want to go to church over there. There's too many hypocrites. You can go to hell with all of them or go to church with a few that are still hypocrites. <laughs> are there hypocrites in here right now? Yes. Can I tell you something? I don't want to be. But on certain days and certain moments and certain situations, the people that preach and teach and lead worship are hypocrites because we don't walk in the spirit and we drift into the flesh at times and we're not living out totally who we are 24 7 why why did you get saved Tim because I realized I was a sinner I realized I was sick I realized I was diseased I realized I was lost Jesus made a crazy statement when he said the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is found the one who has memorized Torah, the one who goes to synagogue. He goes, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, how do you get found? You realize you're lost. And when you're lost, you realize at the center of my soul, I'm diseased, I'm stained, I'm sick, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I can't save myself. Yeah, so I was unworthy and realized that I needed a savior who was worthy to get me out of the ruins of darkness. That, that's how we all get in. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just because you were toxic and sick and sinful and diseased, listen to me, it doesn't mean you have to stay that way. You can't leverage the past ruins of your portfolio any longer to justify the stupidity you're living in today. Did you hear me? So many people want to leverage how stained their past was as a justifying statement to stay that way. When Jesus comes in, Jesus starts to take over every area of my life. My thinking, my emotions, my will, everything about me. So you don't have to stay toxic. Now, here's where I want to go in closing. Paul writes to this group of believers over in Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, the people had gotten lazy. They were loafing. They had disengaged. 
they were not stepping up and anteing up and being a part of the game. Now, Paul writes, as he closes out this little letter in 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in 13, I want you to hear this. Be at peace now among yourselves. When you're dealing with this high-maintenance relationship stuff, when you're dealing with toxic relationship, when you know extra grace is required for you and for others, be at peace among yourselves. Listen, listen. We urge you to admonish those who are idle or unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And all things give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And let me break this down. Be at peace among yourselves. Here's what that literally means. Place a high value on relationships. Listen, church body. He writes over to Philippi telling you odious and soon touch. Y'all got to get along. Settle your disagreements. You're hindering the progress of the work of God there. I mean, it's all about y'all and not about him. Be at peace among yourselves, which means extend grace to those who are failing, who are unworthy, but really are trying to find out who they are in Christ. Now, listen, listen, we live in a society where relationships have become disposable. And we treat people like a a piece of paper. We crumble them up and throw them away. And Paul is writing saying, be at peace, be at peace, be at peace. Be at peace. Extend grace. Extend love. Extend compassion. Take care of people who are struggling. Now, they're toxic, but so were you. I was. I needed to be rescued. I I needed help. Even when I prayed and was baptized and I meant it with all my heart, my language was jacked up. My thinking was jacked up. All this stuff was still messed up. It's not like, bam, it was all over. And I'm sure I said some stupid things in and still say them now. And it's like, give them some grace. Give them a little space. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. They know deep down inside they're toxic. They know they've got some stinking thinking. They know they're negative. They know they're critical. They know. Then he says this. We urge you. We urge you. The word urge is a military term. There's a few military terms in this text. Urge means to come alongside and offer help to. Did did, did you hear that? It says come alongside and offer help to who? He's going to break down the faint-hearted, the weak, and all this stuff. Here's what he's saying. To the people in the church who make up the body of Christ, attendance does not equal involvement. Just 75 minutes on Sunday doesn't mean that you're involved. Doesn't mean you've got skin in the game. I urge you to come alongside. I want you to walk with people. I want you to be more than just an attender, which usually is a pretender. I want you to be involved. I want skin in the game. I want you giving. I want you serving. I want you learning. I want you involved. Here's the way he breaks it down. I urge you. Now listen to what he says. I urge you, people, to come alongside other people and walk with other people. 
which means A, B, C, D, E. I was an A, which meant I was apathetic and lost and alienated from God. I started moving to a B where I started becoming interested in spiritual things. There were some C's and D's and E's that came alongside me as an A and B and said, hey, we, we want to we encourage you a little bit. All of a sudden, this B that had become interested in spiritual things, I moved to a C where I have confessed Christ, repent of my sin, and I'm starting to walk with Jesus. Now, as I started living a C, again, some D's and E's came, across, uh, came alongside of me and put their arm around me and helped me move to a D where I started developing as a disciple and follower of Jesus. He didn't save me just to keep me out of hell and keep me stuck as an infant on baby food. So all of a sudden, the D put his arm around me and said, I'm going to walk with you. And then I met a few E's, and the E's are those who are able to equip others for the work of the kingdom. Makes sense. So what he's saying is, I urge you, find some A's, find some B's that are lost and start pouring into them. If you are a C, allow a D and an E to put their arm around you and help you grow. Thus, small groups. Getting involved in life on life in a small group, and you can see Mickey at the end of the service, you've got to get connected. When people start doing life in these small groups, what happens? They start to grow. You start to take our two Wednesday nights, uh, the, the, our, our men's and our women's ministry. The blooms, uh, the bloom ministry has grown. It's women getting get together with women, and y'all are doing life together. You're sharing scripture together. You're praying together. You're encouraging each other. The Arise Bible study, Lon, 72 years old. He was in the first service. Lon said, man, I've been saved since I was in my 30s. I've been in four churches. Let me tell you right now, the best men's Bible study I've ever been a part of is happening here on Wednesday night. Mike, man, we have seen guys repent, guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s get saved. But you've got to get involved. When you start doing life with other people, you realize that you're not the only one that struggles in certain areas. You're not the only one with certain temptations in certain areas. That, that's the reason we say serve, serve, serve. When you start pouring into these young lives... I mean, Miss Ann, Miss Sandra, what they're doing, these fifth and sixth grade girls, blows my mind. These boys and girls, man, they're teaching them. They're memorizing scripture, what Sammy's got going on. I mean, you can go over there and serve. You attend a service, serve. That's what he's saying. I urge you, get involved. Don't just attend. Then he says this. This is phenomenal. Admonish those who are idle, which means they ain't going anywhere. They're just in idle or the ones who are unruly. Idle, this is great. It refers to a soldier who was not submitting to his authority. So Derek, here he is, years with SWAT, whatever. We've got military guys in here. And I'm telling you right now, when you are under rank, you are to submit to the authority. And what would happen is, and this is military terminology, Paul is saying, come alongside those who are out of step who are messing up the flow and the rhythm of what's going on. They're not giving. They're not serving. They're not involved. They're weighing down everybody else. I urge you to come alongside and admonish them, which really means speak some sense into their head and let them know how jacked up they are. Does that make sense? This is a phenomenal letter right here. Hey, you're out of step. 
You're hindering what's going on. You're not taking part. Then he says this, encourage the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted comes from two Greek words, and, it, and it's this. It's small soul. Is that not crazy? Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the ones whose souls are small. They lack courage. They drift to what is safe. They won't try anything new. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They live defeated lives. They're quitting. They're faint-hearted. Their souls are small. They're not engaged. They don't want it anymore. They don't have any zeal. The thrill of the adventure, man, they don't engage in it. He says, come alongside them. I urge you, come along. The soul, the, the soul who's small. And then he says, I encourage you to help the weak. Then the weak means their faith, man, is just not taken off. The cares and worries of the world, they're, they're just beat down. They're not making any progress. They're not tracking. Their faith is weak. Who's to come alongside these people? You are and I am. That's what he's saying right here. They are constantly and consistently embarrassing themselves, their families, Come alongside and sit down one-on-one and say, let's grow. Come on, let's do it together. Here's a premise statement, though. You've got to ask people, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Or do you want to stay stuck in stable misery and just live a defeated life? Where you at? And there's some people that don't want to move. And we've tried to come alongside so many guys and so many of our teenagers and the women are coming alongside other women. Don't stay there. You don't have to stay a toxic, defeated, steamroller, control, critical, gossiping freak. You don't have to. Help the weak. And that word help really means to hold firmly, to support, to hold them up as they struggle. Galatians 6. Listen to what he says. If a brother is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, go to that brother, restoring him in a spirit of gentleness. That is the way God wants us to work. You got relational chaos going on? Extra grace is required. You've got somebody that's got some negative thinking. You got somebody, man, that's constantly just, just totally pulling down the others. Tell them to stop it. I've told people over the years, man, hey, I know you're struggling, but I'm not a dumpster where you can just come and vomit. You don't just come and just vomit 24-7 when you're with me. Now, I'll, I want to see you get healthy, but I'm not going to empower you to stay sick. And I think we do that at times. Listen to what he closes this with. Be patient with them all. Be patient with who? The faint-hearted, the ones who are weak in their faith. Do you know what the word patience means? Listen to this. Be patient as you deal with some of these toxic, high-maintenance relationships. The word patience in the Greek literally means be slow to boil. When you're working with them and they're not coming along at the pace that you want them to come along at, be slow to boil. Don't get mad. Don't kick them to the curb. Again, don't treat that relationship as if it is disposable. The church will grow when people start caring for other people. The church will grow when we care enough to go to the wayward and admonish them. The church will grow when we care enough to go to the worried and encourage them. And the church will grow when we care enough to go to the weak and help them. I want to be a part of something like that. And I see God doing that here on this campus and in many areas. But God wants you involved in the game. No longer sitting on the sidelines. No longer 
kicking the feet up, no longer justifying why you're not at peace with somebody. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all people. And I think you've got to ask that question. Who do I have in my world right now that I don't have peace with? Who am I sideways with and I know it, but I'm not willing to do anything about? Make sense? Do I have any of those relationships that God is saying, I urge you to come alongside? Now, I'm not saying you can force a person to repent. I'm not saying that you can force a person to respond to God's good news. You don't have the power, neither do I. But hey, you know there's a relationship right there that there's no peace in. Now, have you done everything that you can, praying for them, encouraging them, trying to set up a face-to-face meeting with them to get that relationship right? And if you have, sometimes God says you can wash your hands and go on. But a lot of us, we just write people off. And God goes, quit that. The body matters. Tell Euodius and tell Suntich, y'all need to get together and work out your differences. Are you going to encounter high-maintenance relationships going forward? Believe it. Is there going to be toxic personalities that you continue to deal with going forward? But you don't have to be toxic. And you can be a, you can be a change agent for the kingdom. God can use you to bring about restoration for, for other people if you'll make yourself available. Crawl on the altar and become a living sacrifice. Let's pray.